The Gist is sponsored by Stamps.com. Buy and print official U.S. postage using your own computer and printer and save up to 80% compared to a postage meter. Sign up for a no-risk trial and a $110 bonus offer when you visit Stamps.com and use the promo code THEGIST. The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Wednesday, April 8th, 2015 from Slate. It's the gist. I'm Mike Pasca. Long, long time ago, I can still remember. Stop. Wait, so you remember that it happened a long time ago? Or a long time ago, you remembered something, meaning the event was even before your memory of the event. It doesn't matter. American Pie works. American Pie is iconic. The manuscript to Don McLean's American Pie sold for $1.2 million at auction. Upon hearing that news, I asked my eight-year-old, have you ever heard American Pie? And he said no. And I was like, no, which is weird that I would be shocked because if you have an eight-year-old, you are the concierge of his culture. Anything that came out pre-2009, he's not going to have discovered by himself. So immediately I started playing American Pie and immediately he got the chorus and by the second time it rolled around, he was singing along with it. Why? Well, in the official Christie's brochure, they hired historian Douglas Brinkley to opine, when American Pie is suddenly played on a jukebox or radio, it's almost impossible not to sing along, like Danny Boy or Streets of Laredo or Shenandoah. Quick, do you know the words to Streets of Laredo? Sing a little Shenandoah for me. I would say that American Pie and Don't Stop Believin' are the most sing-alongable songs to this day. In fact, I sang it to my son at a coffee shop this morning, and we were walking down the street, and I was singing it to him, and he was singing it to me, and then a homeless guy, okay, maybe I was wrong, maybe it's just the guy with the aspect and comportment of a homeless guy or a street person, just started joining in. Listen, I roll tape. Ain't good old boys for drinking whiskey and rush singing this will be the day. How about, um... Nah, that's the only one I know. Bye, bye. But American Pie also has going for it the lyrics filled with symbolism so subtle that it's nearly a neon light flashing symbolism, symbolism under the lyrics. For years, it was assumed that the girl who sang the blues was Janis Joplin, that the jester was Bob Dylan, the marching band refused to yield, the Beatles. These lyrics have been burned into my brain, as is the recording that I was weaned on, which I think was from the single, and the single was broken up on two sides, so it was part one and two. And so on my version, the birds flew off in a fallout shelter, eight miles high and fast, falling. The word falling got cut off, but maybe that was just my cassette version, because it seems the 45 actually asked you to flip the chorus. All right, the chorus. Oh, the chorus. You know, the written lyrics, and I've read them, it was pretty surprising what was revealed. He really struggled with the chorus, did Don McLean. I mean, I looked at some of the notes and the crossouts. Check out some of the stuff he was written, right? Chevy to the levee, that was crossed out, and they wrote, Lincoln to Princeton, Chrysler to the iceberg, question mark, Buick, Tunic, Munich, drove my Buick in a tunic. No, that doesn't work. Drove my Buick down to Munich in a tunic too tight. Pretty good scheme. Doesn't make any sense. Then he wrote Dodge Dart, Enlarge Tart, question mark, Crotch Art, Lodge Fart. Then he wrote Pinto with a Bimbo. Drove my Pinto arms akimbo. And he, he actually tracks some of this. Listen to this. Listen to what he put down. Here we go. 
Drove my Pinto, hit a dingo, but the dingo was fine. Drove a Pinto, practiced Shinto, hoped that Brezhnev would die. Doesn't make sense, not as clean, not as smooth as the Chevy and the Levy. The last one, I mean, I couldn't believe he actually toyed with this, but here it is. Drove my Plymouth with the midget, but the midget was high. And then finally he got it. It was the Chevy and the Levy and the Dry. Don't overthink it, Don. So the lyrics, the king, the queen, the jester, the marching band, it has been revealed through this auction, through the original manuscript, what these were coded references to. And as many people have long suspected, these were references to neoconservative political figures and Austrian supply-side economic heroes like the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. It wasn't Martin Luther King, John F. Kennedy, and Robert Kennedy. It was, it was, it was Karl Menger, Eugene van Bomberwerk, and Frederick von Weiser. These were guys from the Austrian School of Economics. When he said, Jack Flash sat on a candlestick, that was Frederick Hayek. I went down to the sacred store, University of Chicago's Department of Economics, where I'd heard the music, meaning free market theory, years before. But the man there, Milton Friedman, said the music wouldn't play. I met a girl who sang the blues, Ayn Rand, and asked her for some happy news. But she just smiled and turned away because they passed Social Security in the Great Society. So bye-bye, Miss American Pie. Drove my Plymouth with a midget, but the midget was high. Them good old boys said, why's that midget so high? This'll be the day that I die. This'll be the day that I die. On the show today, Maria Konnikova's here to play. Is that bullshit? Subject, expiration dates, and I spiel about an audio genius. But first, it's an endive salad, but the Maldive Islands, lately they've both been tossed. Welcome Maldives, the sunny side of life. Yet another stark example of a place's Department of Tourism not matching up with reality on the ground. Not since Flint, the spark is back, or Terra Hot, you look fabulous, has there been such a mismatch. The Maldives are a thin chain of islands off, but pretty far off, actually, the southwest coast of India, and there is unrest in the Maldives. Jonah Blank joins us. This guy knows everything about Asia. He's a senior political scientist at the RAND Corporation, and he used to be the policy director for South and Southeast Asia on the staff of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Hello, Jonah. Hey, Mike. And you've been to the Maldives. I have, uh, and exactly as you say, it is a tourist paradise, but politically it's got some uh, some heavy seas. It does, and one of the people who is actually uh, advising against going there for tourism or any other purpose is Mohammed Nasheed. Now, this is the former president of the Maldives, but he's in jail now on terrorism charges. And before we get to that and why he was charged with terrorism, tell me a little bit about him and what he's accomplished. Well, he is quite an accomplished gentleman. He won the first democratic election in Maldives, which was in 2008. While he was in office, he was a passionate advocate for preventing climate change, because as he noted very well, his nation is in danger of being submerged completely 
if ocean waters rises. And in fact, he dramatized the, this very danger by holding a cabinet meeting underwater in full scuba gear. Yep, the underwater cabinet. He was on The Daily Show. They made a uh, documentary about him. I have an objective, which is to save a nation. I know it's a huge task. I've been arrested 12 times. I've been tortured twice. I spent 18 months in solitary. He became a celebrity abroad, but I guess at home he had lots of enemies with long knives. Well, he, he had at least enemies in the security forces. Among the people, he still is very popular. And the street protests that we have been seeing over the past few weeks in Maldives show that he really does have a very firm base of support. Now, the current president of Maldives is Abdullah Yamin, who happens to be the half-brother of the uh, former president who ruled for 30 years, and guess what, whose rule was interrupted by Nasheed, so there can be bad blood there. But what's the specific charge that landed Nasheed in jail? The specific charge is really just a, uh, a trumped-up charge. He, uh, nobody believes he actually is guilty of terrorism. The reason he's in jail is stirring up protest, that is, campaigning and trying to claim that the undemocratic government of the current president, Yemen is undemocratic. Now, I understand real politic, and while forward-thinking people in, say, the United States might think it's a bad thing that a Democratic leader has been arrested and that a dictator or quasi-strongman is in office. I don't know that they do anything about it, except for this fact. Terrorism is also involved. The Guardian reports that Nasheed launched efforts to counter growing local Islamic conservatism against more right-wing elements, many close to the former regime. So I don't know if this amounts to terrorism per se, but he certainly seems like the kind of guy for not just high-minded, but very practical reasons that the West would want in power. Yes, the West would want him in power I'm simply because he does have the support of the people. In terms of the terrorism charges and how this might affect the global war on terrorism, I really see a lot of this as just a, a red herring. Is there then any hope for a return to power or at least a freeing of Nasheed? And I would say that, you know, with the implication being it doesn't seem so. And yet, he did break the 30-year rule of the strongman once, so maybe there is some I, I think reason there for is optimism. Some, I think there is some hope for some cause for optimism. First, he's been in and out of prison for 20 years, so this is not his first uh, time in the clink. And he does manage to get out because he has real popular support. He's got some pretty powerful backers in the outside world, too. What may well be his ace in the hole is a woman by the name of Amal Clooney. As some of your listeners, no doubt, are well aware, she is the international human rights lawyer who uh, is married to uh, a certain uh, gentleman named George Clooney, and she is part of the legal team defending him against these charges. Oh, maybe one of the Oceans movies will be set in the actual ocean near the Maldives. Ocean 17, all held underwater. Yeah. Jonah Blank is a senior political scientist at the RAND Corporation. You want a question on Asia answered. He's your man. Thank you, Jonah. Well, thanks, Mike. 
best recommendations I make to small business. And let me be perfectly honest with you here. It's the only recommendation I feel qualified to make. Small business always picking my brain. I keep going to the one thing I know is right. I say stamps.com. But Mike, how do we fill our accounts receivable department? But Mike, tell me about search engine optimization. I don't know about that. What I know is that Stamps.com makes mailing and shipping so convenient and saves time, saves you money. You buy and print official U.S. postage right from your computer. And once you try it, you won't go back to making time-consuming trips to the post office small business. To get you started, Stamps.com has a special offer for my listeners. It's a no-risk trial. There is nothing to lose. You have to use the promo code THEGIST to get it, this $110 bonus offer. It includes a digital scale. What small business couldn't use a digital scale? Unless your small business is to make large industrial scales, in which case you probably have one. Anyway, in digital scale, it calculates exact postage for letters and packages. There is no guesswork, and you get up to $55 of free postage. It's easy to use. You print postage right from your desk. You put it right on the package and you always get the right amount of postage because of the scale that I mentioned and also the fact that your business makes scales. Over half a million small businesses are using stamps.com and one of those small businesses keeps asking me about it. Remember, for my special offer, go to stamps.com. Before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in the gist. That's stamps.com. Enter the gist. Do you know what the only item required by federal law to have an expiration date is? Well, I typed expiration date into Twitter. Let's get some ideas. Timmy says, good music doesn't have an expiration date. The answer is not music. Matthew says, you expired to me. Your expiration date was months ago. The answer, again, not you. I never knew morals had an expiration date. No, it's not morals. How about this one? Lex offers that high school friendships always have an expiration date. And according to your horoscope, Pisces, loyalty has no expiration date if you stay real. Well, I'm going to say that's bullshit. (laughs) And joining us now with the answer to my question, what is the only food that federal law requires to have an expiration date, is Maria Konnikova. She joins us for vigorous rounds of Is That Bullshit? And she also writes for The New Yorker and is an author of a book on Sherlock Holmes and a forthcoming book on con men. And here she is. Hello, Maria. Hey, Mike. Do you want to try to answer my trivia question? It's the only foods... Baby formula, Yes, you got it right. (laughs) Baby and infant's formula. So there are a lot of expiration dates out there. State law requires most of them. Dairy is a big one that has to have an expiration date. Tell me about expiration dates. Like, how are they determined and how necessary are they? And that's what we're doing. We're leading up to the big bullshit question, RE expiration dates. It's very good that you started with the baby formulas because that is literally the only product where there are any federal regulations Mm -hmm. based on any sort of safety guidelines. Everything else, basically the expiration date is what you want it to be. What the manufacturer wants it to be. What the manufacturer wants it to be. So do you know how they determine? So there there are a number of things, and they're very confusing. Yes. So if you get a package of food, it might say... Best Buy. Yes. It might say Use Buy. Yes. It might say Packaged On. Sell Buy. Sell Buy. Beer has Born On Dating. Yes. Because people who people <laughs> who drink beer can't be trusted to understand yep. Sell Buy or Use Buy. And I think the only... Sell Buy? No, this was Sell Buy a guy <laughs> named Steve. What do you mean? <laughs> That's exactly right. And 
what all those things mean differ depending on the product, depending on the state, depending on the store, basically depending on all of these things, none of which are actually related to safety. Huh. Because for the most part, let's say you're buying a beer, and a beer is born on? Born on. <laughs> a lot of times it's the born on. All right. Yeah. So that's we, that actually tells you something. That tells you the date that the beer was... Well, I believe bottled. I believe a beer's birth begins at conception. Ah, so it's okay. when the brewer first said, I'm going to combine hops and barley in this I see. capacity. I see. I'm a beer fundamentalist like I that. I see. So let's do yeah. coffee beans, okay. roasted on. Okay, roasted on. <laughs> that, that tells let's you something. Yes. You know exactly when they were roasted, the day that they were roasted. And the reason I say coffee beans is we know a lot about a coffee bean cycle. So we'll know that, you know, the taste changes depending on how many days out from the roast date it is. Mm-hmm. The closer you are, the fresher the bean. But can you make a coffee that you bought a year ago that was roasted on? It'll kill you. It'll literally kill you. Exactly. No, it won't kill yes. you. Yes. No, it won't kill you. It probably won't taste as good. Yeah. But it's going to be totally safe. That's probably the case for the vast majority of foods. Because what people really mean when they say best buy or use buy is this is the date up until which we can guarantee that our product is at its peak freshness that we want you we want you to taste it then if you taste it a day later we're no longer guaranteeing you that you are receiving the taste and sensory experience that you would have gotten (laughs) if you'd actually listened to us and done it by the used by day now let's talk about a different category medicines over the counter yeah Yeah. over the counter not prescription there it's not about taste it's about two things effectiveness and danger what does the expired by date what is that supposed to communicate it gets dangerous or just gets less effective so it says that expire by date is the date until which they can guarantee the full potency Mm -hmm. of the drug and That doesn't mean that your Advil is suddenly going to go bad, but they can't guarantee it's going to act as strongly or the way it was supposed to act um, after that day. But with all over-the-counter medicine, I'm always taking Mm -hmm. expired over-the-counter medicine on the principle that um, perhaps I'm far too trusting. I don't think that it gets dangerous for you. I just think it maybe gets less good. What the hell? I'll take the expired Advil if my headache goes away. Mm -hmm. And by the way... Tell me if this is bullshit. Studies have shown that just having a little bit of Advil on your desk makes your headache go away <laughs> a lot of the time. So, yeah. So, I will take expired over-the-counter yeah. medicine for a couple reasons. One, I have thrill-seeking behavior. But two, I don't think it could be bad for me. And you're actually probably right. There was a huge well, study. i dead, am I? <laughs> I don't have a headache. There was a huge study that was commissioned by the FDA. They made the military go through a bunch of different drugs that had been expired for 15 years yeah. and test their safety and their efficacy. And they found that they were all as good as new, you basically. Mean not only safe, but also they worked yeah. as well. They actually worked as well. Now, there are some drugs like tetracycline where there's some data that shows that it's actually you shouldn't. You probably shouldn't take it. Luckily, I'm allergic but... to tetracycline. <laughs> don't take it. Don't take it anywhere. But that's the only drug where there's any evidence that, and even that's controversial. Some studies have shown no evidence. Some studies have shown some evidence. But drugs, at least, it's showing you something in the food part of the FDA. Other than baby formula, it really can mean anything that the that the people want it to now, mean. Now back back to the so. drugs. Mm-hmm. Wow, fifteen years they still work. Normally, mm-hmm. it's like two or three years for a headache medicine. I don't know, with all the cold medicines. How do they determine the date then? 
obviously the drug companies are incentivized to, they can't say it's expired next week, we'll all know they're lying, right. but they're incentivized to put a date on that so you go and buy new drugs. How do they actually well, determine when they think it's expired? Yeah, I mean, it's. I think that's part of the consideration is you want people to throw them out and to buy new ones, and you don't want people to resell them and to keep reselling them because then you don't get the money for them. But then they have to test it. They have to say that we guarantee its maximum potency. And to do that, you have to run trials that run that length. And trials get expensive. And the longer trials cost more money. And so at some point, you say, OK, well, we guarantee it two years out. We're done. Yeah. We're done here. All right. Let's go through them one by one. OK, we haven't even talked about this, but we'll put it in uh, the final question. So the baby formula expiration date, is that bullshit? No, that's that, not bullshit. OK. Food expiration date, is that bullshit? Yes, that's bullshit. <laughs> And drugs expiration date, is that bullshit? For the most part, even though that's standardized, it's bullshit in the sense that the vast majority of drugs are perfectly safe after expiration dates. Now, I just want to go back to the food expiration date being bullshit. Yeah, your food will spoil. And yeah, it correlates maybe to the expiration date, but that's not gospel. Smell it, taste it. No, smell it, taste it, because there was this really interesting study that I read from um, the Harvard School of Public Health, which said that Basically, in over 40 years when they've been doing this, there haven't been any cases of food-related disease that have been caused by expiration dates. It's all things like contamination, salmonella, bacteria, but nothing because someone ate an expired food. Huh. So, but eating expired food could make you have a, could make you nauseous, right? Sure, it could if yeah. this food was spoiled. Yeah. But, but then there have been being... no massive outbreaks right. ever. But being nauseous... And throwing up is a way to purge yourself of anything. Sure. Like that. And normally, you know, normally our bodies are actually pretty good at dealing with that. And l- listen, common sense. Yeah. Do not eat a food if it smells bad or it tastes off or it tastes not the way it tasted when you first bought it. All right. Maria Konnikova. Listen, she's not saying to drink spoiled milk. She's just saying, smell the milk. If it's spoiled, it's spoiled. Don't go by those little numbers on the milk. You know what you should do, literally in this case? trust your gut. That's absolutely right. Thanks, Maria. Thanks, Mike. And now the spiel where a giant maraschino cherry will be dropped. Stan Freeberg is dead. The radio, actually audio innovator, did everything. He did cartoon voices. He was the puma who answered when Bugs Bunny asked how many lumps he wanted. Three or four. He acted his bits, recorded his singles, hit number one on Billboard. Number one record in 1953 for like three or four weeks was Stan Friedberg's takeoff on Dragnet. He recorded Mel Brooksian comedy albums that still hold up. And he was one of the most important figures in the history of advertising. Well, humorous advertising, at least. He, by the way, isn't in the Advertising Hall of Fame, even though Ad Age calls him the father of the funny ad. Maybe it's because after he took over Jack Benny's radio program, Stan Freeberg refused to allow tobacco products to advertise. Freeberg has been cited as an influence by all the funny comedians and satirists you'd think, but also by David Mamet, by Stephen King, by the Beatles. Well, the movie version of the Beatles, at least. Also citing him as an influence was Hugh Wilson. When the creator of WKRP in Cincinnati told me how he got his start in radio, I lit up. Well, the audio version of lit up, at least. I got a job as uh, in an advertising agency as a copywriter. 
I went from there, and uh, I kind of made my bones very early because nobody wanted to do radio commercials. And I had listened to all this Stan Friedberg stuff. I'm going way back now. but uh, And I started doing funny radio commercials, and that sort of got... I started winning awards and all of that, and then became the creative director. After that, started doing TV commercials, which got me interested in film. It does not surprise me that you said Stan Friedberg, because that guy was a master of theater of the mind. He did so many commercials where he would say, we're going to drop a giant marshmallow on someone. And it would just be a sound effect, but you could really imagine it. And so many of the jokes on KRP, Dr. Johnny Fever putting his head inside a bowl, saying we are in this soundproof vault, or kind of exposing the idea of theater of the mind. And when you see how the theater of the mind is created, it's just funny. Yeah, he used, I think he's the guy that said, you know, cost a fortune on TV, but on radio you can drop a 2,000-pound maritino cherry into Lake Michigan and it costs you a quarter. Yep. And Stan Freeberg was a huge, huge hero of mine with, uh, like, Bob and Ray and a lot of the, a lot of the comics. It was also enormous for me to be able to meet personally and write for Bob Newhart. Yeah, he's great, too. Oh, and also Good. like Stan Freeberg, it wasn't just the DJs. Les Nessman would do the sound of a copper by pounding his chest, saying we're over yeah, yeah, 10. <laughs> <laughs> Another Freebergism, right? Yeah, probably, yeah. By the way, that sound, that then and now, that's actually me pounding my chest as Les Nessman pounded his chest to do the famous helicopter. Maybe I shouldn't have told you that theater of the mind and all. Here now, the famous radio ad that Hugh was talking about. The ad is actually a case for radio ads as a form, and the stentorian voice you will hear is Stan Freeberg. Radio? Why should I advertise on radio? There's nothing to look at, no pictures. Listen, you can do things on radio you couldn't possibly do on TV. That'll be the day. All right, watch this. Okay, people, and now when I give you the cue, I want the 700-foot mountain of whipped cream to roll into Lake Michigan, which has been drained and filled with hot chocolate. Then the Royal Canadian Air Force will fly overhead towing a 10-ton maraschino cherry, which will be dropped into the whipped cream to the cheering of 25,000 extras. All right, cue the mountain. Cue the Air Force. Okay, 25,000 cheering extras. Last, I'll play a pretty long clip. The premise here is that a censor, Mr. Tweedley, has been imposed on Freeberg by the network. The censor insists on politeness and what was then the unnamed concept of political correctness. I'd like to sing an old river song in honor this week of National Treat to Beat Your Feet on the Mississippi Mud Week. <laughs> Mr. May, if you please. That was very polite, Mr. Freeberg. Old Man River. All right, Tweedley, politeness I dig, but what in the world is wrong with Old Man River? Well, the word old has a connotation some of the more elderly people find distasteful. <laughs> I would suggest you make the substitution, please. I suppose you insist? Precisely. You may continue. All right, music. You forgot Got to, to say, say thank, thank you. you. Yes. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Elderly man, river, that elderly man, river, 
He must know something, but he don't say nothing. Grammar, grammar. That's all right, Billy. Music. Thank you, thank you. You're welcome, I am sure. Elderly man, river, that elderly man, river. He must know something, but he doesn't say anything. He just keeps rolling, rolling. He just keeps rolling along. He don't, doesn't plant taters, potatoes. He doesn't plant cotton, cutting. And them, these, those that plant them are soon forgotten. Forgotting and cotting, that still makes me smile. Words like madcap and zany, older words, but accurate words, attach themselves to his various obituaries. Stan Freeberg dropped bombs of wit, or maybe sound effects of bombs, who's to say, for 88 years. Okay, 25,000 cheering extras. That's it for today's show. Just producer Andrea Salenzi drove a Honda drinking vodka, then the vodka ran dry. Managing producer Joel Meyer drove a Daiwoo filled with plywood. The plywood piled sky high. Executive producer Andy Bowers drove a Kia to Crimea, which in Crimea is a crime. Follow the gist on Twitter at SlateGist or me at Pesca Me, which is P-E-S-C-A-M-I. I got my Twitter account before people figured out just to use their name. The gist, hosted by a guy named Pesca who is on the list to buy a Tesla, is giving to sing a cappella, and is in the movie The Wrestler, where he played an extra. I can't do a thing with that. Thanks for listening. Hey, this is Brian Koppelman, host of the podcast The Moment. I am thrilled that I've been able to bring the podcast here to Slate. What an exciting thing this is. I'm, I'm so glad to join the great lineup of podcast hosts here. On the newest episode of The Moment, is superstar chef and restaurateur David Chang. In general these days, I want like mastery or something. I want to taste something where I can't get anywhere else except that location. You can subscribe to The Moment at iTunes.com slash The Moment or find us at Slate.com slash The Moment. I hope you'll tune in.